Today's guest is a true ambassador of Canadian fashion. With more than 35 years of industry experience, he has been championing and advocating for designers and brands in our industry and has become one of the leading figures responsible for growing the footprint of Canadian fashion globally. There is absolutely no shortage of desire, commitment, or knowledge when it comes to today's guest. He has served on the board of directors of many fashion-related organizations, including the Toronto chapter of Fashion Group International, as well as the Canada Fashion Group, which hosted Toronto Men's Fashion Week and Toronto Women's Fashion Week, the largest fashion weeks in Canada, respectively. Earlier this year, he was recently appointed to the board of directors of the Commonwealth Fashion Council, and as if he didn't have enough going on, he also recently acquired Canif, the Canadian International Fashion Film Festival, where he serves as the chief executive officer. Today's guest is the one, the only, Roger Gingrich. He stopped by the pod to offer wisdom to aspiring designers and entrepreneurs, to chat about how he plans to further Canadian fashion internationally through his involvement with the CFC, and how Canif can be a very useful tool to help brands tell interesting stories that get recognized globally. Hey guys, Andrew here, and before I jump into this episode, I just wanted to take a quick second to thank my sponsors over at Bean Bundle, Canada's newest coffee subscription. Before I geared up for this interview, I used my French press using beans they sent me from one of the dopest roasters from across the country. Bean Bundle makes it so incredibly easy for people like me who drink tons of coffee every single day but love to try beans from different roasters. This process is pretty simple. You just visit beanbundle.com, choose how much coffee you want on a monthly basis, medium or dark roast, and they ship you different beans from the latest roasters on a monthly basis. Best part is that if you live in Canada, they ship to you absolutely free, and if you sign up using the code BUNDLE10, you'll save 10% on your subscription. Now go pour yourself a coffee and enjoy this week's episode. Mr. Gingrich, how are you fine, sir? Good, Andrew. Looking forward to uh, catching up and chatting about all things fashion with you. Yeah, I mean, you're the perfect person uh, to do this with, um, you know, an advocate for Canadian fashion, for Canadian designers for, you know, the better of 35 years. You've been crazy busy during this pandemic on on Instagram. You've recently acquired uh, the Canadian International Fashion Film Festival. You're part of this Commonwealth Fashion Council. You're just so much going on in your world. Uh, I can't wait to talk about all of this. Where do we start? Like, what, you know, let's let, let's jump right in here. You know, I, I want to get a gist of of you know the last 35 years. You've been a big proponent uh, in, like I mentioned, supporting. Canadian designers, Canadian fashion, you know, what is, what is this mission you're on and where does it stem from? Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll bore your, uh, I'll bore your listeners with a bit of a background, you know, to where, you know, it's 35, 38 years gone. Um, I actually started in, in, um, grew up in Stratford, Ontario. My family lived in Edmonton, uh, from 1978 to the 1990s. And, and in high school, I actually worked for a sports repair company who uh, repaired um, NHL and CFL equipment. And so it was a part-time job during, you know, after hours in high school. It's where I learned how to sew and do pattern making and uh, work with leather and plastics. And it was also the time the Edmonton Oilers, if you're an NHL fan, you know, the late 1980s was Wayne Gretzky, Marty McSorley, 
Fuhrer, uh, Moog. I mean, they had the top three lines in the NHL. Like nobody could touch the Edmonton Oilers. So I was literally every game in the dressing room after every game, you know, grabbing, you know, Wayne's um, skates, uh, Yari Curry, customizing it as Roger. I need this, I need that. I learned so much as a, as a young kid. And just also, I, I, I think that's this celebrity culture is, is, doesn't really phase me you know these are they're normal people just like you and i having a great conversation you know and and they're the same way but so i learned a lot you know right in high school on you know the value of people and the value of of um, of a good product or a good service and you know i was very much i entered the industry through through being service-based you know and everything in life is either product or service-based i entered in through a service-based I graduated the company I was working for went out of business. I started my own. Um, so I ran, so I was basically in, in sporting goods repairs for six years at that point, uh, made a ton of mistakes, had literally went from high school, graduating, barely graduated high school, uh, to opening my own business. There was no way I was getting into college or university. Um, I took a, a university, co- a college course at the time, um, in creative and, and but realized I, I need a lot, learn a lot more on the business end of it. Uh, moved to Vancouver, worked for a company called StormTech, um, which is an absolute powerhouse in, in uh, the promotional outerwear uh, industry. Um, I was the eighth employee at the time. We were doing around five million a year in sales, and nine, uh, sorry, two thousand was recruited to Toronto. Uh, the company was 65 employees, 50 million a year, just tremendous growth. And um, then in 2003, I had started my own agency, uh, the Ginrich Group, and was more of a sales agency uh, for uh, Fossil Brands, um, Sun Ice, a number of outerwear brands, um, Holiday Group, which had the Roots license and a number of others. So, yeah, my, my industry's kind of been all over the map on heavily sales, heavily marketing, um, but, but started with, with a background of a product first and foremost. Wow. Very, very interesting. I mean, that's a hell of a background, like going, coming from a sporting goods world. I mean, now you're heavily rooted in, in the fashion world and, uh, it, it's interesting to kind of see that, uh, that trend, you know, that, that, that progression, that, that change, uh, what, so what, like, I mean, those, those are, that's a really big jump. What, what about, you know, being in the fashion space uh, kind of intrigued you. You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a sports fan. So I just see the world is like completely different. Like you, you don't really see a cross between the two. So, you know, where, where, where did you see kind of start to develop that passion for, for the fashion industry? Your, your comment on being a sports fan, you know, you're, you obviously got attracted to sports for a reason, the competitive nature, um, the inspiration, you know, the, the effort and the time of, of a professional athlete. Um, and, and the fact of, you know, what is it? I'm going to guess one or 2%, you know, through their high school and university years actually makes it as a professional athlete, you know, but they put that time into it, you know, and it's, I, I saw a lot of correlation with the, with the fashion industry as well, you know, where somebody's put in the time, you know, whether they were just born creative or, or they had to go to school, you know, to learn the discipline as well. And, and not everybody gets recognized. Not everybody, you know, has that opportunity, you know, in, in sports, it's very clear. You're the fastest runner. You're the best kicker. Um, you're the biggest guy. You know, it's, it's very clear. You know, that's not necessarily the case in fashion. You know, there, there's, I, as much as I hate to admit it, 
you know, there's a lot of luck and there's a lot of who you know in, in fashion. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, the person, you know, with the greatest creativity is the one who's going to have the best success. And, and that's not the case. So for me, the transition was more, I'll be honest, inspired by the creativity. You know, I love to see, you know, well-dressed men, well-dressed women, you know, that we respect, you know, our bodies, you know, whether we're, you know, like me, you know, 10 pounds, a little bit overweight, um, whatever have you. But, you know, we own our bodies, whatever we have, whether we're skinny, whether a little bit bigger, um, own it, be who you are and dress appropriately. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody who's, you know, just wearing something either too tight or too oversized. And, and, and for me, that's what attracted me to that was, you know, as we're, you know, talking on the sports analogies, these athletes are wearing performance outerwear, the shoes, whether you're on court, on field, those shoes are going to help you perform. It's not about fashion. It's about helping you perform. Um, you know, same with your Jersey, your shoulder pads, your hockey gloves, whatever have you, you know, and, and, fashion or apparel and you know with with um you know your background and, and luxury bags as well you know it's it's the same thing you know there's a there's a form of function you know to fashion but then there's also a style of, of I want to stand out I, I want to look good as well um and be recognized you know regardless of you know I'm an old bald guy or you know what have you we we all want to look good so so that's what that's what attracted me to fashion was you know, it's, it's right in front of each and every one of us, you know, and it's, and it's not necessarily about having a large budget, you know, so I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit, but my wardrobe, you know, we talked about the 80, 20 rule. Um, I wear 20% of my wardrobe, 80% of the time, you know, and I've got my key pieces. Um, and as again, as I'm embarrassed to admit it, you know, some of my favorite jackets came from value village because, you know, it was the right fit. It was the right look. I'm in and I'm out. I found the look and, you know, and, and there's a rise in, um, in secondhand culture and, and fashion as well. So I apologize. I got way off track on your question on that one. So No, no, that's, that's great. And, you know, something I really, uh, I, I picked up that I, I, I love what you said there, you know, you're right. Athletes are, they're clear cut, you know, they're, they're fast, they're strong, they jump higher, you, you can you can literally look at an athlete and be like, this person is going to be, you know, a top X football, basketball, baseball player. It doesn't matter. Like the attributes are there. And you alluded to fashion designers and um, and businesses uh, not necessarily having those attributes. So in, in your experience, you know, how could uh, an entrepreneur, a fashion designer, you know, someone that wants to build a brand, how can they uh, take steps to to stand out, to grow their business, to maybe you know, shine bright in a field that has uh, a lot of noise and, uh, and a really big crowd? Great question. It's, I think a lot of people, you know, forget, you know, what goes behind a good brand. And, and it's, it's truly a, a small team, a small village where, you know, you've got uh, most, you know, if not all fashion designers, you know, have a creative instinct, you know, they see a need for something in the market or they just love their designs and, and want to put it on, on people mm -hmm. um, or with the right person. But just so many of them lack the business end of it. 
you know, whether it's it's simple margin, whether it's a good PR agency at the right time, um, whether it's, you know, going after a celebrity culture or, or mass market, um, whether it's, you know, selling within your local community and making a great living at it, you know, or going global right off the bat. You know, it, it's really, we're the second largest industry in the world next to agriculture. And, and we're actually very close, one and two, um, as far as employment of people, not necessarily of, of dollars, but employment of people. Um, and, and it's just because there's so many careers in fashion that obviously the designers get all of the accolades and the press and the coverage and 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 as they should, it, it's, it really is a team that, and I'm seeing it more and more that are getting a little bit more of the press or the background, whether it's phenomenal photographers or layout um, or storyboards or, you know, telling of the story, you know, and, and we'll allude that when we talk uh, further on, on, on fashion films, but you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're telling a story, you know, you're telling a story through your incredible collection as well. You know, no different than, you know, a dress or a great suit or a great pair of shoes. Um, we're in storytelling. Uh, one of my favorite websites is called uh, trendwatching.com. October 2008, uh, they had a brief called Story Ingredients. And the brief was, you know, as consumers, we don't buy products or services because of the product or service. We buy it because of the story behind it. You know, it pulled out our heartstrings. It's it's helping here. It's saving the planet, whatever have you. Um, and that's a, that's a big draw for us is, is that story ingredients. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I guess we can go here now. Uh, and this makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's a, and it's a perfect segue. I mean, you just acquired uh, Canif, like I mentioned off the top, the Canadian International Fashion Film Festival. Did I get that right? I think I got it right. So, so tell me a little bit about that and how you see that playing an integral role in, you know, in brands, maybe uh, putting themselves on, on the spotlight and, and coming out of the woodwork and giving themselves an opportunity to shine. Yeah, so thank you. Um, and, and thank you for this platform as well to to talk about it. I um, I love my industry. I, I love people. As, as, a, as an extrovert, um, I, I feed off of people. And, and this, um, you know, global health crisis is, is killing me right now because I, I can't be out and, and engage and see people. But, you know, and it's very much our, our industry as well. You know, but and what I like about fashion film is exactly that. You know, it's, it's about going to the theater or it's, it's, you know, having a discussion, you know, on a particular brand or, or service and, and the story they're telling. So I'll backtrack where, you know, traditionally for decades and decades, you know, we all had our favorite, you know, fashion magazines in the world or, or newspapers. And, you know, Harry Rosen's is, is a prime example, you know, 40 something years ago when they started advertising in, in the Globe and Mail, I apologize, 60 years ago, when Harry started advertising in the Globe and Mail, you know, that was his source of connecting with you. Um, you know, that edition you're opening up and Harry's got a sale going on um, or it was in a magazine. The problem with then versus now was the impressions. How do I know Andrew actually saw that ad? Or, you know, he was busy heading up to the cottage and that issue got, you know, placed in the dumpster or became, you know, um, kitty litter. And that was a problem for decades where they couldn't really track impressions. And, and it was very expensive because, let's be honest, it was the only mode of advertising aside from radio, word of mouth, television, all which were expensive. You know, then came the digital era and, and how we tell a story. And then it came the social media era. So websites very much then became the new format of, of 
you know, me showcasing to you what my collection was all about. And, and here's a picture of me as a designer, and this is what I stand for. And, you know, I support children's charities. I support, you know, saving the whales. You are now able to tell so much more of a story through a website. And now, you know, as the, as the trend forecasters say, websites, you know, in five years will be a thing of the past um, because people just are not even taking the time to go to websites. You know, they're going to your TikTok, to your Instagram, to your Facebook. You know, we I want a short burst of information. I don't want to be told the entire story. And it's, and it's basically how our attention spans are changing. So to bring it back to fashion film, the beauty of, of this evolution of, of information of how we as consumers are going to find, and we'll talk about fashion, how we're going to find out, you know, the greatest brands, you know, that, that fit me, my lifestyle, my, my pocketbook have, have uh, come through these, these fashion films. And what they are, are fashion shorts. And they range from a minute you know, to really 15 minutes in length. Uh, but the large majority of them are a minute to three minutes in length, fashion films. I uh, started in Berlin and in Paris um, as fashion film festivals. So filmmakers from around the world. So it was two parts. It was directors uh, or filmmakers uh, in the film industry. And then it was the fashion industry um, of the Dior's and the Prada's of the world and the Nike's of the world going I don't want to buy an expensive 30-second ad on television. You know, how can I tell more of a fun story that's going to be shared and shared and shared and shared again across Instagram and social media? And how cool was this? I mean, we all wait for the Super Bowl commercials. Literally, you know, there's so many people that watch the Super Bowl for the commercials, not the sport itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was a big turning point for the ad industry going, we could tell a story through a really cool commercial and at the same point, sell our product or service as well. So that was really the big rise of fashion film because we had these mediums of, of social, you know, to tell them through. And these festivals brought in the creatives of the world and architecture in magazines, in, in um, interior design, because just because fashion encompasses everything. And they were networking and they were sharing concepts and you're a designer and you're a stylist and you're in PR and, and you're a filmmaker, um, you're a costume set designer, let's talk, let's connect. And that was the rise of fashion film. Um, so now there's 46 fashion film festivals in the world. Wow. Um, Caniff is the only one in Canada. LA has two, New York has two, London has two, um, Milan um, is, is a big one, South Africa has a big one. Germany actually transitioned theirs to Berlin commercial. It got to be so much commercial content that they literally changed their festival uh, to be more of a commercial um, uh, film festival. And it's brilliant, honestly. It's one of the top in the world without question. So, so now you've got these filmmakers and designers creating these, these stories through a minute to five minutes to engage you, Andrew, to engage me, um, more just for, you know, creativity, obviously to either showcase and sell their brand, um, a good portion, I'll probably say a third of our submissions are actually outright ads, you right. know, for sunglasses, for the latest computer lookbook, for the latest Mercedes-Benz um, car. So it's not just about fashion. And then you've got the, another sector where it's a filmmaker's just showing their insane creativity, you know, over a three minute short, it was done inexpensively uh, in hopes of, you know, Universal Studios going, 
that was brilliant. We're hiring you to do our next $200 million movie. Disney, um, Netflix, you know, it, it puts these filmmakers in a global spotlight that they wouldn't have had an opportunity otherwise. And then obviously, you know, the, 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 the biggest sector for me is the fashion industry. You know, do I do a traditional runway that's going to cost me, you know, five, ten, fifty thousand dollars, you know, to showcase my brand, you know, on a runway and hopefully it gets picked up. And and don't get me wrong, I love a, a brilliant fashion runway. The problem with global fashion runways nowadays is good looking men, good looking women walking down um, to great music and beautiful clothes. Once you've seen one, you know, the creativity after a while, it's you know, they get, they just get to be repetitive, you know, Chanel and Dior. And, and there's a few, uh, Fendi, there's a few in the world that do some phenomenal shows and, you know, they're on a supermarket, they're on a beach in the, in the Maldives, you know, the creativity is insane. Yeah. That's a small, you know, less than 10 handful, you know, that have that budget. Otherwise fashion runways, you know, have had their day sponsors, um, have left, you know, um, the, the seven figure sponsorships, they want handshakes and eyeballs. They want the consumer. They could care less about the industry. They could care less about the buyers and the media because that's not where the money is for the sponsor. You know, this, the, the average consumer, thanks to Instagram and Facebook, you know, is, is I want to, you know, I'm on to go bag, but I want it now. I'm not going to wait for the retailer to tell me six months from now. Um, it's going to be cool. We've made the determination. This is the new trend, but you got to wait six months for it. You know, and it's it's thrown buyers, you know, for a loop on you know on, on how they showcase their product, because now sponsors are going. You know, sorry, I'm I'm not funding this 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 series anymore um, because the designers didn't have fifty hundred grand, you know, for their time slot. Um, they relied on the sponsors, to, you know, to foot that bill so that they could have that time slot. Sorry, I'm getting way off track on that. But but that's where the rise of fashion film has really filled that gap. So a designer going, wow, I'm, I'm going to, you know, put all the money into a runway, you know, beautiful men, women, you know, doing a runway, 10, 15 minute spot. I'll, I'll get my press um, and that's it. Or, you know, I can spend five or 10 grand uh, and produce a fashion film, enter it into these various festivals around the world, multiplication effect on impressions, and then it's shared on Instagram, it's shared on their website, it's, it's tidbits, you know, for, for brands you know, or, or retailers to showcase it as well. And it's just cool, right? It's, it's just showcasing their brand in a whole nother, in a whole nother genre. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting concept. I mean, I definitely agree with you in a sense where I can see this being a huge a huge way for for brands to market because, you know, listen, traditional marketing. I know people are still doing it, but you know, especially for young designers and entrepreneurs that don't have massive pockets to you know run a TV ad or a billboard. You know, I, I think for all intents and purposes, traditional marketing. I won't say it's dead, but it's going to have to change if it wants to compete. Like the, the price tags are through the roof and really the attention's not there. When I'm driving down, you know, the highway, I'm not looking at the billboard. I'm looking at my phone if I'm a passenger in the car. Right. So, um, you know, those, those dynamics, the dynamics of, of those ads have changed. So I see, I definitely see, um, a great opportunity for, for fashion film and you're right. It's cool. Right. Like I, I think people are interested to learn about, you know, emerging designers or, or, you know, like a BTS of maybe a brand they already know and, and doing that through, uh, you know, a creative process, I think is really uh, intriguing to a consumer and, and 
really and, and can be really inspiring and can really help grow that tribe for for a, for a brand. Like I, I I love that concept. So, like, does it work like a traditional film festival? Like, you know, let, let's say let's say Monty and Co creates a one to three minute short, and we tell our story about you know how the craftsmanship's in Toronto, and our our you know our head craftsman is like a second generation Italian, and we use wool that comes from Italy, and you know vegetable tan leather, which is like a really old process. Like we tell that whole story and then what we would submit it to, let's say Canif and, and, and what's the process from there? Like, how does it get distributed or is there an admissions process? How does that all work? So, so there's the storytelling is, is a key part of it. I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, you submit to the various passion film festivals around the world that, you know, might be key markets, you know, of where you want to get into, whether it's a German market, whether it's the Asian market or, a South African market. So you determine, you know, really where your target demographics are. And then it was actually the last two nights um, we had our submissions, uh, sorry, our selection committee literally pound through film after film after film after film. Um, this year, you know, due to the health crisis, we had um, uh, just a little over 150 uh, passion wow. films from around the world. Uh, we're normally over 300. You know, some of them were automatically disqualified due to length of the film or it didn't qualify as a passion film or uh, just a number of reasons. So then the submission, is, the selection committee goes through them all. And, you know, is this actually, not that we want to be purist, but, you know, is this actually a, a fashion film? So, you know, so, Sorry to cut you off, but can, let, let's go there actually. Like, so what constitutes a fashion film versus let's say like a fashion ad or, or a regular film. So it's, it's the, the generic term is fashion has to play the lead character or a supporting role. The, so, so let's say, you know, if we're talking about Monty and co, um, I, I wouldn't tell the story of, you know, the great craftsmanship and whatever have you, those stories are a dime a dozen. And I mean, disrespect. No, you no, know, absolutely. What we have instead would be, you know, a bit of a dialogue, you know, and, and I'm just, we're just talking creatively here, you know, two guys walking down Bay street, you know, instead of eyeing up, you know, the beautiful girls walking down the street, they're eyeing up each other's handbag. And, you know, I wonder where he got it. And, and then and they might drop into a dream sequence of, you know, the guys in, in the, in the factory hand sewing this, you know, the, the final stitch or putting the final rivets on. And, and the other guy is looking at, you know, his handbag, you know, or briefcase, whatever have you. And, you know, then it, a dream sequence to how that one was created. And, you know, we're, we're men, you know, we, we we're envious of what others, you know, have a cooler handbag or, you know, a cooler suit or a cooler pair of shoes than, than I have. Um, so that's how you would do it through a, through a traditional storytelling okay. that every, every, you know, I say six seconds keeps me captivated where, you know, it, it's got to be engaging. And literally, you know, some of the best fashion films we've seen have literally been a minute and a half long. And, but they've gotten the message right off the bat. And it wasn't so much a blatant ad, you know, of, of a, a beautiful car or a great drink or whatever have you. You know, you told me a, a fun story, a serious story, a cheeky story. You know, and obviously, you know, Monty and Co. was the star of, of the ad. So that's where fashion plays, you know, a lead or a supporting character. You know, and, th and that said, you know, one of my issues with a lot of the fashion film festivals around the world is there's been a, a lot of, I, 
I don't want to use the word watering down because, I mean, you, you look up the, the old Webster's, you know, dictionary uh, definition of, of fashion. You know, it's, um, oh, those clouds are very fashionable today, you know, or that um, that uh, style of a layout is very fashionable. I mean, the word fashion covers, you know, so many aesthetics in, in life. And, and some festivals have gone that way. And no disrespect, you know, it, it's how they've taken a fashion film festival where, you know, now it's about pretty much about everything where I, I'm trying to be, you know, as strong to the core as I can be, um, you know, as, as a fashion broker, which is, is my day job is, is connecting, you know, industry players, you know, and, and in the case of, of now it's, it's connecting, you know, the film industry and connecting the fashion industry to work together, to collaborate together. I mean, we're in Toronto and, and, you know, thankfully we've got a lousy dollar and the European and the American filming in this country is second to none right now with what's going on and, and how our insurance industries have, um, have dealt with um, COVID has been phenomenal for the film industry. It's, it's not a lot of people know the, the insurance industries have been backing away from in, insuring uh, film sets because of COVID. Um, the worst thing you can get is the star gets um, the virus. He's down for two weeks. You've got a million dollar, you know, a week or whatever have you, you know, put on hold. Um, so governments and insurance companies are working together to get the film industry back on track. Um, you know, and Canada is leading the way on that. So I, I give them a lot of credit. So it's it's opened up our doors a lot faster than some other countries in the world. And coupled with our you know, fantastic, you know, dollar in the, in the marketplace, the opportunities are phenomenal. So, so to bring it back again, you know, the, the power of fashion film on, on telling a story, you know, in Canada, we got it all, you know, we've got the creatives, you know, like yourself, you know, the, the, um, the designers out there in, in accessory markets, um, in the film industry, you know, again, second to none from all the disciplines, but they want to know who each other are. And again, that's aside from the beauty of a festival where they actually get that opportunity to, you know, handshakes and eyeballs, but it's the day to day, you know, where we can, we can all work together. Yeah, totally. So, and I, and I love that. And that's, that's interesting about the, the insurance industry supporting the, uh, you know, coming together to support the fashion uh, or, or, or the film and industry, um, which I didn't know. I mean, I never really thought about that component of, of, you know, people getting sick on set and all the committed dollars. So that's, it's a really interesting uh, that you brought that up. And, and, and that's really great to hear that Canada is leading the way in that. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of, I'm still fixated on, on the, on the film festival concept. I think it's fantastic. Is there, is there a live component to this to, to, to a film Every festival? Concept? There, there is around the world, you know, and it's, it's actually during the day where they'll have workshops and talks and you'll have, you know, a, a leading filmmaker in the world and a leading fashion designer or a stylist and somebody in PR, um, a director of photography in the film industry with um, director of costume and let's talk. And so you've got this audience of fashion, film, you know, creative, graphic artists, um, interior designers, set designers. I mean, I could talk for hours on how many industries, um, you know, will be in an audience and 
I want to learn. I want to know that person. I want, you know, to, you know, trade a business card, you know, with a set designer um, or how do I get, you know, my bags, you know, onto that set, you know, Canada, Canada goose, you know, that was their driver aside, aside from the celebrity culture, you know, it was Canada goose get, getting their jackets into the film industry that really launched them globally. So you, you take, you know, a lot of those industries that get it. Um, that's why they love the live component of these festivals you know and i'll take a second just to talk about tiff as as one of the leading film festivals in the world along with sundance and Cannes. Uh, tiff is number one from the consumer end of it where the average you know person like you and me can you know drop 25 bucks on a ticket and be eight feet away from brad pitt yeah. you know we're con you know it's industry only there's no way you would have that opportunity um and sundance obviously not the size of, of tiff what a lot of people don't know about tiff is the business of film in the world is second to none for those 10 days in in a year in this city, number one in the world for the business of film. The actors and actresses are here. The PR agencies are here. The media is here. The financiers are here. The directors are here. They're all in Toronto. So during the evening, there's the red carpets, there's the parties, there's the, the gala showings, the premieres. During the day, the theaters, these private theaters around the city. Um, so you take a case in point. Uh, I'm not sure if they still do, but the Thompson Hotel um, has that 47-seat um, theater. Uh, Royal Bank would rent it for $25,000 for the 10 days. And they would be, um, and I'm giving an example, but um, Steven Spielberg, you know, team, we want to rent the theater, you know, for the morning. We're going to, and I'm just making up names. You know, we're going to get Brad Pitt. We're getting a producer, uh, a financier. There's going to be about 10 of us. We're going to talk about 10 minutes. This is the next idea we're thinking of. Does everybody like it? Let's go for lunch. And they'll sign a $200 million deal um, over some, you know, sassafras, you know, dinner table, you know, as they did a bit of a preview and the deal's done. That is nonstop in 10 days, the 10 days during TIFF, because the world's film community is in this city. And and that actually, Hank Vanderkolk, one of um, the founders, I uh, was actually talking to Hank this morning. He's the one that really highlighted to me, and I, I would have never known that. And he just said, you know, the business of that industry and distribution deals and whatever have you inspired me more so with Canif on the acquisition. Because as a film broker, you know, my my livelihood is is people you know i'm a behind the scenes guy you can see my wall i mean it stretches for quite a ways but um i, I love people I, I love connecting brilliant people with each other and when i heard more what goes on behind the scenes with tiff that's what needs to happen with the fashion industry and the fashion industry is i i i can't talk a single negative about our industry in canada but there's so many more opportunities we don't know about um, within, you know, the fashion industry and, and film is a great one. You know, it's well financed. They have great pockets. Um, and who wouldn't want to get into an industry where they're either renting your collection or they're going to basically showcase, you know, your, your collection on a global scale that you're basically getting free advertising out of. Um, so it's this whole new genre that the film and the fashion industry really, truly hasn't taken advantage of. Yeah. And, you know, I can see where you're going with this. And I'm guessing your your big goal, like if you had like a really, really big goal with Canif, would be to get it somewhere close or um, at least in, in a, a discussion where you can reference, um, you know, TIFF, right? Like where it's at a level where you can bring that many people together 
and, and brands and, and, you know, all the stakeholders together, right? I'm, I'm assuming that would be where your intentions lie. 100%. Our, our goal is to be the number one fashion film festival in the world for the, the collaboration of fashion and film together. Um, in one spot, you know, and, and even though it's, it's a once we were actually going to do our festival during TIFF mm-hmm. um, at the Isabel Bader Theater, but the filmmakers are in town and uh, at, the, at, at night, you know, who doesn't want to go to a good fashion party while you're in, in town at a film festival, which the film industry doesn't have fashion parties, they have film parties. Um, so that alone, you know, is exciting, but, but also making this 12 months of the year. So let's do, you know, an, um, a day and an evening in Vancouver, you know, in you know, the dead of February and, and bring together, you know, the, the community of fashion and film um, in Calgary for talks and workshops during the day, a screening of an, of a, of an episode um, or, or a documentary, whatever have you that evening. Um, and as much as I love the phrase handshakes and eyeballs, you know, let's, let's meet, let's network, let's talk over a great drink um, and let's do some business together. But, you know, March, maybe it's in Calgary or Edmonton in Montreal and in the summer um, is how do you engage the Canadian community every day for opportunities, not just once a year at a festival, but how do we engage every day? You know, the film industry is nonstop. You know, and, and I, I read, a, please don't quote me on it, but I read a while ago that Canada is one of the top three Netflix uh, production um, cities or countries as well. Um, just for, I don't know how many movies or Netflix shows will watch or a series. And, you know, my wife will look at me and go, I think we've driven through that town. You know, we lived in Vancouver for quite a while. It's like, that's Vancouver. Um, even though it's it's making up for a U.S. city or whatever have you. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's how do we really highlight, you know, Canada globally as the place um, to work with the fashion community and the place to work with the film community. I love it. I love it. And, you know, Roger, just basing this strictly on your personality and your passion, I know this thing's going to be a complete success and I can't wait to watch this grow and, and be a part of the community. So that's, that, I'm, I'm really pumped to see how you, uh, you know, how you push this. Let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk about one of your other recent involvements, uh, you know, board of directors of the Commonwealth Fashion Council, which is a pretty newly formed initiative, I believe, uh, happened during COVID. And uh, why don't you share, shed some light on, on, on what that's all about and uh, how, how you see that involvement kind of helping, uh, you know, again, the fashion industry, which is what you love to do. Uh, so it's actually Commonwealth Fashion Council has been been around for quite a few years, actually. Oh, my um, mistake. Sorry. No, that's okay. I'm, the involvement for me is new. Um, oh, I've right, only okay. been on, um, it was actually about 18 months ago, they had approached me and asked me about getting involved in, and anything to do with, you know, the word Commonwealth, you know, I, I believe goes through the Queen's desk. I'm, I'm exaggerating on that one, but, you know, it's one thing about the Commonwealth or, or the British way of life. Um, they don't take things lightly. So it was a process. Um, they had approached me um, a number, oh man, this is like 18 months ago. Um, and it asked me, you know, Roger, we're looking at you to be uh, on the board of directors and, uh, and also represent, a representative of Canada. And I had dropped them an email back saying, you know, thank you. I'm absolutely flattered uh, you've involved me. But, you know, here's a list of 10 names that are a better face. You know, they're a lot better known than I am, you know, in the Canadian scene for fashion. 
And I, I sent the email back and, and they sent an email back saying, um, that's why we want you is you're all about profiling others and, and not of yourself. And I, and I don't mean that from a humility standpoint, but, you know, in some cases you have to have a face you know, to an industry. And, and I'm not a face to an industry. I'm, I'm a behind the scenes guy, but I wanted to be up front with them. You know, if you're looking for a face, you know, this isn't the face. Um, if you're looking for somebody who who is about, you know, profiling, you know, his fellow brother and sister in the industry, uh, day in, day out, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm your guy. You know, that's what I, that's what wakes me up in the morning. So part of the process then was, um, was you know a number of conversations with their existing board of directors, their legal teams, their their communications teams, and to make sure we're all on the same page and we all have that same vision. And um, and then it was announced in in May of of 2020 my um, addition to the board of directors. Um, so what the Commonwealth Fashion Council is based out of the UK, um, very heavy involvement with um, the UK government as well, and trade councils around the world, um, councillors from around the world as part of the 54 nations that make up the Commonwealth, um, with the goal being gender empowerment, being education, and, you know, I'm going to do a lot of references to a family, you know, helping your little brother and sister up where they need a bit of a boost, you know, where there's, there's very clearly some wealthy countries as part of the Commonwealth and, and there's others not so wealthy uh, as part of the Commonwealth. So how do we help out each other? How do we showcase our industry so that we're not taking advantage of each other, but we're actually a family helping each other out to sharing of resources, sharing of contacts on, you know, I'm I'm doing this in Canada. Maybe it would work for you in South Africa. You know, India is doing this great initiative. You know, maybe it would work well in Australia. Um, so it's it's basically sharing of ideas. The the land sea initiative that they're doing as well on promotion of designers that are making our planet a better place. Um, education and gender empowerment. You know, to make sure that. You know, women um, around the world are, are getting equal pay. They're getting equal opportunity as well. Um, you know, we're abolishing, you know, child labor as well and making sure that, you know, countries or, or people are um, held accountable for such as well. Um, so it's, it's not that we're trying to be a big brother. It, it's basically a support structure on bringing the, the, the Commonwealth industry together, working, you know, one of our initiatives is, is trying to abolish duties and quotas and others, you know, where member countries, you know, have may have imposed on each other, you know, so how can we help out each other? You know, it, it's like, you know, your your little brother or sister is, is brilliant on computer design, but they're going to charge you a fortune, you know, to fix your website. It's like, we're family, you know, what are you charging me for? A little bit of a different analogy, but, you know, how can we help out each other, so to speak? And, and trade um, duties are, are, are very much a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I think it's, uh, I think tra- I think duties and, and, and taxes and stuff like that really uh, can create hurdles for, for brands and, and designers wanting to get, uh, you know, wanting to build their profile internationally. And, you know, one thing I have to say with, you know, my company being made in Canada is that we've always benefited from, you know, selling into countries like the U.S. because because of our trade agreement, right? And the fact that we're made here in Canada helps us kind of escape some of the duties and taxes that we get from working, let's say, with with Britain or or other countries around the world. So 
Well, and it's also, it's also, and not that we're just selling within the Commonwealth, you know, to your point, and you brought up a, a, an interesting comment was, you know, the world, I interviewed Joe Mimran a while ago, and, mm-hmm. and you know, part of our, our theme was why Canada? And Joe Mimran, you know, to this day, I, I still remember it. He says, our, our problem is, is our humility in this country. You know, we're not good enough. You know, we, we come from a small country. Um, everybody's better than us, you know. And I'm paraphrasing what he had said, but sure. he said, not a lot of people know, you know, the most populous country in the world, China, the, the new mothers of China prefer Canadian agriculture, Canadian food over any other they don't trust the food in China, and they don't trust the food out of the U.S. Um, we are very stringent on our on our health rules, on what goes into our plants or our animals, um, on, on notifications, whatever have you. And just so, from the food sector alone, I, I didn't realize the power of that Canadian producers have, and and how the world looks at Canadian food. And then you take the fashion industry, and and kudos to Joe because he is very much a face of this country, um, you know. And an incredible global ambassador where our humility has hurt us. You know, we have no problem, you know, waving our flag, you know, having our, our phone with our, you know, our cell phone case. Um, you know, our humility, oh, I'm Canadian, but, you know, I come from a German background, but really, you know, there's so many far better people out there. No, what we don't understand is, is we're a country not only of, of immigrants, again, from a German background and various backgrounds that we have, but we get along as a whole, you know, and we respect each other's cult, uh, cultures. We're not saying the second you come to Canada, stop talking your language. Um, you know, you can't do this religion anymore or way of belief. And we're far from perfect in Canada, but what the world sees as Canada is this country that's got this incredible creativity through this mash of cultures. I want to hold on to my heritage, but still be a proud Canadian. You know, I want to wear a great parka in minus 20, but I want to look cool, but I I want this Indian influence. I want to have my South American influence. I want to have this Italian influence. And it it comes through our fashion, you know, very much, you know, in in your quality of, of, of bags as well, where, you know, it's very much a gorgeous luxury category. But I also, I, I categorize you guys as, as affordable luxury. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned that to you before. When I used to do some consulting years ago, there's, and and I don't want this to come across wrong, but there's pretentious culture, or, uh, sorry, pretentious luxury, you know, where there's 80 point margin added just because it's such and such a brand. Um, and then you've got the luxury uh, component, which is priced according you know, to the quality of the product. You know, you're not going to have 80 points added on just because, you know, it's a it's a luxury label. Um, you know, so you guys are very much in that affordable luxury category. I liken Canadian designers exactly in that category. We price ourselves. It's, it's made in Canada. It's made with, you know, quality components. You know, we pay, you know, a, a, a livable minimum wage, I'd like to think. We're not perfect, but you know, when we're going to charge for something, it's because all of our creative sectors have made a living at it as well. So that affordable luxury, you know, when people see Canadian products as a whole, the consumers around the world know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting value for my dollar and, it, and it's a quality product. And the creativity is, is just embedded into a Canadian. You know, it, it's like, 
It's like the Canadian pin um, when you travel Europe and people welcome you with open arms and, and other cultures of the world that have recognized it, you know, and literally buy Canadian pins to put on their backpacks to travel Europe because they're treated differently. And, and that translates in, into our fashion community as well of how the world sees, you know, our acceptance, our love for cultures, our embracing of cultures as well. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, um, yes, I, I, I appreciate the compliment and, and thank you. I, you know, when we started Monty & Co, we, that's exactly what we wanted to be. We wanted to be affordable luxury. You know, we didn't want to be a brand that marked up 80 points just for the hell of it. And we wanted our customers to have value. So you didn't offend me at all by bringing that up. And I just wanted to go on the record and say that, but yeah, it's, it's funny what you, um, it's funny how you describe Canadians, right? Cause it, and it's, and it's completely bang on in almost all facets of our life we're, we're, we're like passively aggressive and, and we're, you know, there's too much humility to, you know, to amp up that, that aggression. Right. And I, I think on a global scale, when it comes to, you know, I don't want to speak for all businesses, but I, I think, you know, I can speak for maybe when we're selling uh, our, our products, our Canadian products into other markets, it's that there might be, it's an interesting concept you bring up. There might be an inferiority complex um, in, in thinking that maybe we're not good enough to hang out. and But, but unfortunately, I said that out loud, and now everybody's going to think that that's our, our hidden <laughs> secret. I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> but, but I actually think that works to our favor, is the fact that we're not out there, you know, screaming on top of the CN Tower, look at how cool we are by our products. You know, we're doing it without having to scream. And I think that humility um, of our products and services you know, even though it might hurt us in some areas, I, I, I'm a believer. I, I think it actually helps us overall. We let the product or service, you know, speak for itself. It's funny. I mean, you, you like you mentioned uh, briefly in passing, you're a fashion broker. Um, so you obviously have some experience in sales. How, how do you balance the, the humility of, you know, being Canadian, of, of not trying to be too cool, but have enough, I guess, business acumen or, or I don't know what the word is, but, you know, have that tenacity to go in and sell because. So it's a great question. Um, so when you're, yeah, when I'm in front of, of a buyer or, you know, on a retail floor, whatever have you, yeah, that humility is out the window. Now it's a matter of, of you know, there's, there's 10 other bags in this room. Mine is the best. And this is why mine is the best. And now it's time to tell that story. Where is it made? What are the, the components? Um, where do I fit in the pricing grid to everybody else? You know, yes, we, we recognize others. You know, we're not, one thing about Canada, we were not about to say, you know, there's this crap, mine's the best. No, you know, we recognize, you know, beauty. We recognize good quality in others. But as much as, you know, that one's great, mine's better. Um, and this is why, and, and that's just salesmanship 101. Right. Um, you know, somebody's got a wallet, they've got some, a, a credit card with some space on it. We're going to fill up that space. And, and, you know, why am I buying that product or service? You know, and it's, it, it brings it back, you know, to needs and wants, you know, am I filling a need? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of coffee in my, in my cupboards. I, I need coffee. I go to the store and I'm either getting Starbucks or I'm getting Tim Hortons. Um, you know, what is my want? 
you know, at that point, you know, and it's the same, you know, within, you know, your category, um, you know, are there $50 messenger or weekender bags out there? Absolutely. Um, or do I want to be seen with a Monty and Co bag that 10 years from now, you know, it's broken in and it's stunning and it's gorgeous and I get compliments on it and it's my go-to weekender bag. You know, that's what you're selling at the end of the day is, you know, I've, I've got my favorite bags that I've had for 10 years and I'm slowly breaking them in, you know, and I love that story behind that. So to back to your question, um, your comment is, is that's where the humility ends. And, and we've literally, we understand if our product is sitting in a retailer's store and a retailer space and the salesperson has a customer coming up to them saying, I'm looking for a weekender bag, you know, where's the salesperson going to direct them to? mine or somebody else's and that's where you know we've got to tell the story of, of who's the better you know bag for that for that consumer that's interesting and i've had this discussion with a, a number of other designers with regards to their brand and you know it's it's the the challenge of it's not it's not necessarily the challenge of uh, selling it to let's say a retailer right you know listen you're going to get a thousand no's for a hundred no's for you know every yes but you know, I think a, a big concern from from designers selling into retail is that, you know, once it's in there, now it has to perform. And how do we uh, how do we control that process when you can't, you know, if you have 100 retailers, you can't be in 100 places at once as a brand owner. And you're kind of relying on that partnership to, you know, put their best foot forward when it comes to your product. You know, any tips and tricks to maybe a designer uh, or designers listening to this that, are trying to sell into retail and, and want to drive sell through like that you can, you can share. hundred percent. Um, keep it simple. Like honestly, simple little bullet points. So even though I've had a product knowledge session with your collection, so to speak, um, I got 20 other product knowledge sessions with other brands at the end of the day. And as a salesperson, sorry, if I'm working on a retail floor, I just want to make my commission. I, I want to make the easiest sale possible um, and, and make sure I'm, you know, fulfilling that client's needs and wants. And so what is going to stick with me the best? You know, to your point, you know, it's properly how it's dyed or the leather that's used in it. Um, I heard a great story uh, years ago from Dior. All Dior leather products, they actually have a, a farm in um, France where there's no electrical fences. The, the cows are all kept in because they, they, they can't be close to barbed wire because it could scratch the leather. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure it was Dior, but, you know, the cows are massaged and, you know, how this leather is treated. So they get a better yield out of, out of the product. So little tidbit stories like that. I want to hear that as a consumer. My new handbag, the cow was massaged. You know, his leather was massaged on this, whatever have you. But what is the point? You know, what am I going to walk away with on a Monty & Co bag? You know, it's the hardware. You know, it's that tent stitching, you know, and there's two stitches per inch. You know, these quick little tidbits that are going to not only help me sell the product, but but as a consumer, somebody's going to say, Raj, great bag. I'm like, yeah, this Monty & Co, they use this tent stitching and there's literally two stitches per inch. And, you know, it's, it's a two millimeter thread and it's waterproof. You know, what are little simple tidbits, you know, that I can share without giving, you know, a 40 minute explanation on how great this bag is. Because at the end of the day, simple sells, you know, I want to tell a story, but you know, I got 400 
you know, other things going on in my mind. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a quick story in reference to your comment. My work with um, sponsorships um, with Fashion Weeks as well, we employed what was called the guppy rule. So a guppy, you know, a little fish minnow has an attention span of seven seconds. The average human being has an attention span of six seconds. So if you remember years ago when Vine videos were all the craze, yep. it was six seconds. And literally in, in traditional media or Instagram or TV, if the show hasn't kept our attention span for six seconds, we've swiped them. We've moved on to something else. And that's, it's only getting worse, Andrew. You know, the more we're into this culture and I want to be entertained and you're not keeping me entertained for six seconds. I got a 400 other things lined up, you know, that want my attention. So multiply that now as a consumer, you know, I'm heading out. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to leave at the end of the day with a Monty and Co bag. You know, I'm going, it's, it's like going for, you know, groceries and I need coffee and I need, you know, 10 staple items. And I come home with 40 items, you know, just because something caught my eye or, or, or storyline caught it. So you, you now capture that in fashion and accessories because, you know, there's a quick little story that caught my eye. It was a great logo or is it a great story? Um, and that's what we buy at the end of the day. Take needs aside, you know, we buy wants, you know, accessories. You know, I want the latest, coolest hat or this pair of shoes or, you know, a great bag. But you've got to appeal to my and all of our, you know, short attention spans out there. So as a, as a retailer, so and, and that's for all of us, as a brand like yourself selling, you know, either directly to the consumer or to a retailer, to somebody on the retail floor, and then me as a consumer, you know, how can I tell the story of my brand in six seconds? Yeah, and it's... It, it, so many good points there, Lenny. It's so true. A, you know, that, that salesperson on the floor has a short attention span. So, you know, they're not going to watch a 20 minute video you send them or, or you know, they're, they just want those bullet points. So I, I think that's the key, the key piece there. Um, I mean, we can go on for hours about how, yeah. you know, uh, the attention span of, you know, of, of millennials and, and Gen Me's and is, is uh, kind of degrading here. But uh, yeah, very, very good points. So um, well, all of us, that attention span has actually been triggering. It's not just a demographic group anymore. You know, it's, it's you know, I'm a 52-year-old guy. I, I love my social media. I love my movies. You know, I, I love to read as well, even though I'm not doing enough of it. But the attention span is, is actually crossed all age brackets as of late. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough out there. It's tough out there in advertising and, and getting in front of people. And, uh, you know, you've really got to be resilient and persistent to, to get in front of people. So I just wanted to uh, reference a quote that the CEO of the Commonwealth Fashion Council made. He said that uh, it's an exciting future for the Canadian fashion industry in terms of our involvement with the CFC. And I mean, you've been around the business a long time. You've been around the industry a really long time. And you've, you've seen us adapt in, in many different ways throughout your journey. But what I'm really curious to see is, you know, more and more we're becoming a global economy. Um, Canadian designers are becoming, you know, being put at the forefront in other markets. And I'm curious to see, you know, what your speculation is in the next 5, 10, 20 years uh, with regards to Canadian fashion and how it looks on a global scale. Uh, it's a great question. So one of the reasons Canada has... Um, such a global let me backtrack why the global market has such a love affair with canadians is you know if, if you're in new york as a designer 
you're living and breathing retiring in New York. Same if you're in, in Paris or in Milan or in London, you're a fashion designer, you're living and breathing and retiring, you know, in your city. Because we are a country of, you know, what are we, 36, 37 million people, you know, thanks to, you know, the world right now, we are global, whether we like it or not. But Canadian designers have felt the need to move to New York, to London, to Paris, to Milan, to grow their roots, to hit that luxury, you know, Asian consumer. I I did a consulting a client a while ago, and I'll just talk about the Asian market for a second. 48% of, I I apologize, I apologize, 34% of the global luxury market is of Asian descent, not Chinese, of Asian. So it could be uh, South, um, it could be Indian, it could be Pakistan, it could be Singapore, Taiwan, uh, Japanese, uh, Chinese, so of of Asian descent. And of that um, 34%, uh, 48% of that luxury consumer, that, that it comes from an Asian background, 48% is under the age of 25 as well. Wow. Um, and and how they view the world. And, and one thing about Canada, uh, in Asian cultures, cultures per se, um, have always loved Canada have always loved Canada from our not only acceptance of cultures. I mean, I lived in Vancouver for many years, one in three. People in Vancouver are of Asian background, one in three in Vancouver. So the the Asian cultures have always loved Canada, um, you know, for a multitude of reasons, you know, for our acceptance of religions and cultures. So so the the world has had this love affair of Canadians. We're nice. We're polite. um, We're creative. I mean... Again, we're not perfect, but, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, great touch points on that as well. But but we most designers seem to leave because they feel they have a better access to trend forecasting agencies, to models, to opportunities, to retailers, which is, which is partly true. Think, do you think it's vanity at all? Not at all. No, not at all. It's, it's, it's strictly business 101. Um, if, if my genre is to sell into um, major retailers to an audience of, you know, 100 million people, you know, you shouldn't, you know, maybe Canada or Toronto is not your best. I'm going to come back to that point. So they feel that they have to be in Paris or in London or in Milan. Okay. Where, you know, a, a good case in point is, is Stefan Karras, uh, the designer, you know, one of Canada's proudest exports, you know, has a, a sorry, uh, he exports his product, um, you know, has on Queen West, in, or sorry, Queen East in um, Leslieville, this beautiful bank building, his clients come from around the world for their, their couture dresses. And he'd been proudly based in, in Canada forever. Um, and he's learned how to market to the world and having the world come to Toronto. They're here for a TIFF. They're here for a gala evening. They're here visiting friends. They're going to the Muskokas for the cottaging. You know, he's mastered how to stay in this country, traveling abroad to see fabric shows and, and notions and trends and whatever have you. But he loves his Toronto um, and he bases his business here. So I, I understand why some people leave, even though they're, they're proudly Canadian, but, you know, they, they feel they've got they want to have Italian made, which I love, especially in menswear. I mean, you still can't beat made in Italy for, for menswear. Um, and, and I get it, you know, to base yourself in, in Italy where you've got the hubs of, of manufacturing. We don't have that level of manufacturing in Canada. Plain and simple. 2005, worldwide textile quotas were abolished. 
and factories dropped like flies. They're slowly coming back, but we just don't have the quality of manufacturing they do in in China and China and um, in uh, India and in Europe. I mean, those are really leading countries for manufacturing and and fashion. Do, so, sorry so, to jump in here. Do you see? Uh, I mean, listen, I'm someone who is a first generation Canadian. My grandparents are or you know, Portuguese, my parents are immigrants. You know, my, my grandmother was a seamstress here for many years when she moved here. So, you know, that, that's kind of my affinity to, to maintaining our production here in Canada. And, you know, th- there was tons of, of, you know, of manufacturers here back then. Right. And like, she tells me stories about how she, she was like one of the best sewers and she would get paid per garment and she would like try to get jobs at different factories. So she would make more money. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously that landscape has changed like big time now. I mean, you know, being in the bag industry, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's few and far between. Um, there's a few more uh, garment producers, but like, do you, do you see maybe what the impact of globalization that our, our, you know, domestic manufacturing industry specifically with regards to fashion uh, makes a comeback? Or do you think that, you know, the, the cost effectiveness of overseas production is just, you know, outweighs the pros of, of even trying to build so, it back up here? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So part of the problem is, is greed and, and greed is never going to go away. You know, thanks to the Amazons of the world, the Alibabas of the world, um, the fast fashions of the world have, have really killed the quality um, aspect of it. I, I truly believe, and not just the fashion industry, but all industries, you know, and, and this, this current health crisis is contributing a bit to a correction, whether we like it or not. And, and I think, I, I believe a correction will come out of this, but, you know, we need, uh, as, as I'm embarrassed to say it, 75 less brands in the world. And of those 75, um, they're fast fashion brands where they were filling the landfills and there are products that are you know, made to last not even a season, maybe two or three washings. And, and I, yeah, yeah, I'll be careful not to mention major retailers, but you know, there's, there's certain retailers that will walk into their factories around the world. You need to be 13% cheaper this year. Next year, they walk in, you need to be 13% cheaper this year. Next year, you need to be 15% cheaper. You don't see that in, in, in iPhones or others, you know, every year it's going up, but for some reason in fast fashion, it's getting cheaper every year. So something's got to give at one point. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's consumers feeding, you know, that, that appetite um, and, and not caring that, you know, God forbid, you know, the garment lasts more than two washings in, in your machine where the thread falls apart, the dyes are gone. It literally falls apart. Um, and it's thrown away. And for, you know, three ninety five, you know, I've got another, you know, um, you know, shirt or whatever have you. There was a great article by business of fashion years ago. You know, what is wrong with our industry when a, a sandwich is more expensive than the traditional black dress. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, that's a problem. So, so this correction in this industry, I, I hate to say it, they're literally fast fashion needs to go away. And we need to go back to, you know, you come from a European background of parents similar to mine where, you know, we bought quality garments, our parents, and and they actually went to the seamstress, you know, if something needed to be repaired or 
we actually had to put a zipper back on something or fix a button. We're in a throwaway culture. You know, it's, it's going to take me more time and money to repair something than it is for me to buy something brand new. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. And, and that's the biggest problem in fashion right now is we're supporting this, this industry where it's coming from around the world only to be thrown away where, you know, if that, and it's not going to happen, but if that industry was to go away, the fast fashion, you know, we're going to be back to our, our local community hubs where, you know, we're reducing that footprint. We're buying, you know, and sourcing our garments locally. The designers are, are having it, you know, the garments made within a hundred kilometer radius as well. You know, they're getting it repaired. You know, they're not buying, you know, super fast trends. You know, they're buying those classic pieces and don't get me wrong. You know, you can, that's why I like accessories. Accessories are great for trends because you can still have that black suit or a great dress, but it's a necklace. It's a watch. It's a bracelet. You know, it's a new tie. You know, there's these inexpensive ways, you know, to dress up a look, but we're going away from these classics, you know, where, you know, the Italian male has it down to a science, you know, they've got their staple brilliant pieces, you know, and they, they mix and match the shirt with the tie, with shoes, with pants, you know, and, and a lot of those pieces, you know, they're five, 10 years old, you know, where today's day and age, more so in North America, the Europeans have really not, you know, strayed away from, from the quality aspect, the way um, that we have in North America, here in North America. No, absolutely. And, you know, I hear stories, uh, my mom tells me stories about my grandfather. And, uh, you know, like I said, he was an immigrant, didn't make a lot of money. You know, he, I don't even think he owned a property till he was in his 50s. Like he didn't make a lot of money. But when my mom and sister and, and, and they went shopping for garments, his number one rule is like, you better buy the best, even, you know, even if he's scra scraping his teeth just to pay for it. But like, to him, you know, it was A, he didn't want to replace it. B, when he went out with his friends in the community to church, he wanted his family to look really good and presentable. So obviously it was about, you know, personal brand. And, you know, it's just, it's really interesting. Like he, you know, I, I think if he was still around now and I, I could tell him that I bought, I, I could go buy a t-shirt for three bucks, he would be like, don't buy it, <laughs> you know? So it's just, it's really interesting to see how like the generational change um, yeah. has, has really impacted the industry. Um, well, but part of it too, it's, it's not even, uh, you're, you're right, it's a generational change, but it, it's also got to do with, you know, I, I don't want, as much as I hate to use the word greed, because I, I get it, you know, somebody, you know, as an investor, I want to make a return on my dollar and, and fashion has got to be one of the worst industries ever, you know, for investment, because what are you gonna make double three times, you know, your margin on, on clothing, mm -hmm. you know, where you know, you're, you can invest in a video game. There's probably a thousand percent chance it's going to fail. But if that video game takes off, you've made a hundred, you know, and 50,000 times, you know, your, your, your return. Right. So, so the rise of fast fashion was, you know, how do you make an investment? How do you get the dollars from investment companies? You know, I mean, look at Brooks Brothers right now, you know, going through bankruptcy, um, bankruptcy restructuring. I had to be careful what I say on this one. Um, I'm in talks actually with a group in, out of Italy. Um, you know, they went in the whole 300 and something million dollars. 
how do you go in the hole $300 million, you know, for such a staple brand that has, you know, clothed presidents? You know, what is wrong with this industry that you go in the hole $300 million? You know, at what point, and I got to stop my, my rambling on that one. But yeah, that's, you wouldn't have seen that, you know, 50 years ago. Like it's unheard of. But that's the problem when you've got, you know, so many either copycats, you know, or those that are, you know, I, I want to sell that $500 looking bag for 50 bucks. And you and I both know there's lots of those out there. Uh, and they don't care if it lasts, you know, four months because somebody can drop another 50 bucks and get another one and still save on, on buying $500 like the original. Yeah, see... I differ on that, on that point. Like I, I think people that do that, just like the economics just doesn't make sense to me. I, you know, the way I like to break things down and this is going to maybe go off topic, so I'll keep it short, but um, I just really want to make this point on that. I think, you know, if you spend 500 bucks on, let's say a, a, a weekender bag and it lasts you, let's say 20 years, let's say it lasts you 20 years yeah. and you use that bag every day, your cost per wear on that bag is pennies. Like it's, it's like, it's, so, pennies, right. Don't get me wrong. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, no, I know. No, yeah. I know. And I, I think people, what people don't understand is like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, it's just 50 bucks and I'll go buy another one in a year. But like, if you look at the time horizon of 20 years, you're actually going to end up spending more. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's short-term gratification. And, you know, I think mentally not having to fork out 500, uh, it's, it's easier to fork out 50, 10 times than it is 500 once. And, you know, it's just, it's funny that people have that perception where it's like, well, I can just go replace it. Like, I mean, that's economics don't really make sense. That's our industry as a whole. I mean, look at, look at TVs right now, you know, for, for decades, you would, I said decades, but you'd have a TV that lasts over 10 years. If the sound went or the tube went, you, you repaired it. Mm-hmm. Where now, you know, I, my wife and I just bought a, a 65 inch flat screen TV, 480 bucks. It would cost me more to repair that TV than to buy a new one. Do you remember when TVs like that were like 10 grand? <laughs> oh my God. I do actually. I do. And so wanted one. And it was like, there's no way in hell I'm spending that kind of money. Right. It's like half the price of like a cheap car. I don't know. It's crazy. Well, even smartphones. I mean, let's be honest, you know, the, the, the latest iPhones coming out are like $1,400, but they have more power than my MacBook Air. Yeah. Crazy. But but to that point, I'm replacing my phone every two or three years, right? So it's 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 this whole ingrained in, into us. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see fashion, you know, come back to be, you know, being quality focused as well. You know, the Japanese actually have a brilliant, um, I wish I could remember the word, um, and it's partly due to space because they have no space, um, is, is the average Japanese male has his staple black suit, white shirt, black pair of shoes, and I think there's room for five or six other hangers in the closet. Um, and the very minimalist type of, um, of closet and partly again, due to space, but also because of, you know, they, they've got what they, they need and what they want. They're not necessarily, you, you know, using clothing to showcase the personality. Yeah. It's, I can vouch for that. I've been to Tokyo and, uh, that's one of the first things I noticed is that everybody wears like the exact same outfit. It's like, you know, black suit, white shirt, or like if they're not wearing a suit, it's like khaki pants, you know, white striped t-shirt. It's, it's it, it, right. very, very simple. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting. Um, so, you know, 
and I don't think they, you know, I don't think they spend so much on, I don't think they replace it that often. You know, I think they replace maybe the basics, but they have yeah. those staples that last a really long time. And they take care of them as well. You know, similar to the European culture where, you know, we take care of our clothing, you know, it's washed appropriately, whether it's hand washed or um, what have you. I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler. I do the laundry in the house just because I'm, I'm a bit of a stickler on how laundry is done. You know, the proper detergents is a cold water is a tumble dry. Um, you know, you want your clothing to last and, and you respect the clothing in your closet. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Roger, this has been great. I mean, I, I feel like we can go on all afternoon if we just let this ride. So uh, I just, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for, you know, getting deep on a lot of topics and, you know, sharing your knowledge and your insight. And it, it truly has been a pleasure. I hope that anyone listening has been able to take at least one valuable thing, which I know you're gonna be able to take more than that. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Honestly, it's my pleasure, um, you know, just to have a great conversation with you on, on this. And yeah, you know, we, we've got a lot to be proud of in, in this culture, in this country, you know, and we really need to, you know, embrace our, our, our um, brothers and sisters, so to speak, in, the, in an industry where we can support them or help them along the way or, or share a, a contact. And, you know, it's, it's um, as a proud Canadian, you know, I've, I've got a lot of love for our industry and, and how we all work together and, and how we are conquering this global stage, you know, as, as such a small country and, you know, to make sure that, um, you know, we, we don't hide behind that humility either. So love thank that. you for the opportunity to chat. I love the conversation. No, absolutely. And a great way to end off. Thanks again for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure.